Hello, everyone. This is Jan Scruggs. I'm the president and founder of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the big black wall in Washington, engraved with the names of the casualties from the Vietnam War. This is a podcast we're doing today with Morton Dean. Let me tell you a little bit about Morton Dean. He was born in the great state of Massachusetts, and uh, his actual name was uh, Morton Dubitsky, but it had too many syllables in it, I think, for the network TV. <clears throat> because he, uh, Morton, worked for CBS News and ABC News for 20 years with, uh, with CBS, uh, 14 years, according to Wikipedia, with ABC. Uh, he went to reported on many wars, Grenada and the Falklands, Somalia, Palestinians and the Israelis, and uh, bombing of the USS Cole, Saddam Hussein. You know, and reading all these wars that he goes to, I uh, went to, I have to assume that the people at the networks felt that he was bulletproof. Remember one of these World War II movies I saw uh, in which they lined the men up and said, gentlemen, you are all expendable. It's <laughs> 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 a great way to first day on the job. They were, they were explaining, so. so Morton Dean and I have become uh, friends and acquaintances over the years. And uh, what pulled he and I together were two things. First of all, we both had guest hosted the Larry King Show. I, Jan Scruggs, was invited to guest host the Larry King Show. And uh, Morton had the same experience. Uh, and also, Morton has, a, uh, <clears throat> has an honorary degree with the uh, Ringling Brothers Clown College. So it's not often you meet a man with those kind of credentials. So the softball question is, Morton, how did you end up in Vietnam? Well, CBS thought it was a good idea. CBS, uh, I was working for CBS News. And Jan, it's a pleasure being with you. Uh, I consider you a good friend, and I hope you consider me a good friend. Usually when I say that, the questions are a little softer. So uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, I, um, I got to the war very late. I got to the war in late 1970. And CBS by then had sent, uh, dispatched almost every other uh, correspondent. Not all of them went uh, to Vietnam. My wife was pregnant for, uh, for nine months. And I kept saying, I can't go now. I've got to wait till my first child is born. And and finally, uh, the assignment editor said to me, I'm tired of hearing that. Not only don't I think your wife is pregnant, I don't even think you're married. You've got to go. And I, uh, I, I went and uh, I did the minimum tour, uh, which was six months. Mm -hmm. I see. And you, on one particular day, were on a helicopter, and that helicopter was out to rescue some people. Why don't you tell us what happened? Well, yes, we used to go out and look for stories. On occasion, you get a notice from New York saying that they had seen a story in a newspaper or on the wire service, and they wanted that covered. And uh, other than that, we would go looking for stories. And one day, we ended up by we, I mean a cameraman, and a sound man. We worked in teams of three, and we ended up in Da Nang. You remember the uh, beautiful city of Da Nang. And uh, we were at a briefing, got ourselves invited to a briefing, 
And at one point during the briefing, the officer in charge was telling these infantry troops that that they would be covered by medevacs, by medical evacuation teams. And I leaned over to Greg Cook, who was my sound man, my cameraman, and said, um, why don't we go with them? And he kind of looked at me and said, well, okay. And I went uh, out to uh, where the choppers were, and the crew, a crew was getting ready to board its chopper, a crew from the 236 Dust Off, it was called. Uh, da Nang Dust Off was its other name. And I went up to the, the uh, pilot, uh, the guy in charge, and he was just putting on his helmet. And I introduced myself, and, and I said, look, can we go out on a mission with you? And he looked at me as if I were slightly unbalanced and said, you want to go out on a mission with us? And I said, yeah. And he went like this, shook his head and said, well, come on. But he, he I, I, looking at the look on his face, I thought this is going to be interesting. And they were going out uh, at that point to uh, uh, rescue three wounded infantrymen from the AmeriCal division. Uh, who were about 20 minutes away from the aid station called Hawk Hill or Hill 29. And, uh, that's how I got on board. And your helicopter landed and there were some wounded people who uh, were escorted onto the aircraft. Is that correct? Yes. And boy, you know this, Jan, because I remember what you said when I first met you. And you asked me what I was doing. And at that time, I was working on putting together a documentary about this particular mission. And you, you said, well, that was a good thing because you uh, had a familiarity with dust-off uh, pilots and dust-off crews. You had been wounded in Vietnam. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and you said, Americans don't know a lot about the kind of people who flew those very important life-saving missions. And you said to me, you might not remember this, but you said, and I will be your unpaid volunteer PR man for your documentary. And you were, you were really very, very helpful with that. Anyhow, we, uh, we, we board, boarded the chopper uh, and uh, we were told that the, the rescue was uh, planned was of three men. And I was told that if it's a larger operation, uh, the, the pilot, Bob Brady, nicknamed the mouse, he was short. Mouse said, uh, but if we have to leave you there, we'll leave you there. So we, we, we went and picked up uh, three men, took fire on the way in and took fire on the way out. And uh, uh, it, it was a, in a way, a life altering experience for me. You know, I'd been in some, bloody places, but I, the heroism of the medevac crew never, never left my mind. Yeah. Well, it only takes two or three bullets to, you know, hit the rotor or the, or the rear, rear propeller blade on, on these helicopters and they spin around and crash to the ground. They, yes. There's nothing about them that, that glides. They just go boom. And, uh, but it was on one, yes, wounded severely, but they gave me, uh, uh, morphine, and uh, I, I was so stoned, I was just singing "Leaving on a Jet Plane" for about half an hour. <laughs> I, 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 I bet. But uh, morphine 
vaccine can't be a wonderful thing, right? Yeah. Haven't had any yeah. since then. But so you got these guys on your helicopter, people are shooting at you. And uh, there's a very interesting segment or part of that adventure in which this, this guy's obviously, he's really in bad shape, looks like he's dying. And you grabbed his hand. At least he was able to hold the hand of another human being, another American who had some respect for what he's going through. Yes, that happened in such an involuntary way. Uh, I noticed this wounded guy's hand came up and he was reaching out for something and, and I, I just reached out for it, didn't even think about it, and uh, held his hand. And I, uh, when we were shooting this documentary and went to his home in Talmadge, Nebraska, a beautiful, lovely town with about 300 people or less. Mm. And uh, in fact, I just talked to this guy the other day. He had visited with uh, Mary and me a few months ago with his wife and daughter. And um, when I was doing the interview for the documentary, Jan, uh, we just reached out and we held hands. Uh-huh. And, we, and uh, the cameraman made a still picture out of that. And he has it uh, on his uh, copy of that on his living room wall. And I've got one right over here in my little office space. But I, the one thing, and I'm probably talking too much here, but uh, the one thing that struck me, you know, of all the people I met in so many different places in the world, like people I mean, you know, guys like yourself who wore the uniform of the United States of America. I, I just uh, I remember them all, literally. I could go on and on and on here. But uh, what struck me about the medevac crews is that they exemplified an American ideal in a, in a terrible war-torn place. And by that, I mean when the call came from the field that help was needed, Nobody, at least while I was there, nobody said, well, wait a minute, what color are they? Uh, what, uh, what church or synagogue or mosque do they go to, if any? What party do they belong to? Are they uh, native-born Americans? Who are they? Nothing like that was asked. All that mattered was that guys like you needed help. A fellow American needed help. And they went, no matter what the conditions were, no matter what time of day it was. That that has impressed me. And I thought back then, if there's anything I can do to make certain that Mar- Americans know who these guys were and never forget who they were and what they did, that, that that's what I was going to do. That's why I did the documentary American Medivac. It's still out there. Yes, and, uh, you know, uh, you might... Note, note to the listeners here that you and I were on a commission chaired by uh, Mr. Tom Ridge. Great man. Yes, uh, it was the, uh, the Vietnam War Commemoration Commission, 50 years or so after the war began. And I guess they've, we figured out that we're, we'll mark the end of the war in a couple of years, in April or March of uh, 23. And uh, you and I were sitting together at my first meeting, and we we talked, and uh, that's when you said you were going to become my 
volunteer, unpaid PR man. <laughs> and, and boy, you 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 were you were responsible for pointing me in the direction of the sponsor. And yeah, money. Uh, we need money, right? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I know I haven't given you your 10% yet, but uh you you'll get it. I'd I'd rather owe you for the rest of my life, Jan, than cheat you out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You put me in your estate. No, it's important to do things for people. Uh, and uh, that's what keeps us all going. And the great example set by our brave helicopter pilots in Vietnam, as well as today, uh, in, in other places, if you're wounded, these guys will, will come and try to try to save you. And in Vietnam, we lost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of helicopters. Uh, yes. it doesn't, it's not hard to shoot one down, one, one or two bullets, a, a rocket-propelled grenade. It's all over. Everyone dies. There were no redundant parts on those helicopters. Things have changed a bit. They're flying an up medevacs fly an upgraded helicopter nowadays. Yes. But, but yes, uh, one little uh, bullet in the wrong place, and and you were gone. And I just saw today in the Army Times that they uh, have vented, invented, and tested a bulletproof vest for helicopter pilots. Really. Took them so long to figure that out. <laughs> well, it also floats. It can you can pull a flotation device if you fall in the water. <laughs> yeah, but where do they put that bulletproof vest? I remember Mouse, the pilot, yeah. was holding as he, he put on his helmet, and then he reached down and picked up a chunk of metal that yeah. was about three inches thick, maybe it was two inches thick. Yeah. And I said, "What's that?" And and he mm -hmm. said, uh, "I sit on that." because I don't want to lose my, and he took his other hand and pointed to what he didn't want to lose. Yeah. And he said, you want me to get you uh, uh, a chunk of this? And, and yeah. I said, sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> so I, I sat on that, uh, uh, what did they call it? Um, I forget the name of it. It was uh, Bulletproof Metal. Oh. I'll think of it after we stop talking. Yeah, yeah. But the new vest that the Army has approved uh, does go through the crotch area as well, so it protect, protects all important parts. Yes. Brave good, good. You do a great job. Now, you know, tell me, um, I'm, I'm going to end up interviewing you because that's what I did for a living, but mm -hmm. I um, I was so impressed, not, not only by the medevac guys, but by the guys they picked up uh, who were out there in in a ravine, um, you know, they get wounded. Oh, it was on the edge of a, a rice paddy. But um, when we were on our way, when medevacs were on their way to pick somebody up, obviously the crews only thought about the job ahead. And when you were in a field or in a rice paddy as a young infantryman and um, I, I bet you your mind didn't wander too often, right? You were you had to keep your mind on what, what might... was happening. Talk about what happened last time, and yeah, try to stay alive. <clears throat> and back in uh, 1969, the average Army Infantry Company was composed of about I think 85 percent draftees. And when I was there, almost everybody. Uh, was drafted, except for the officers, the senior NCOs, 
and a couple of people who just kind of joined because uh, <laughs> because some judge told them they had to. <laughs> but, yes. Either that or do hard time, right? Yeah, yeah. Or harder time, maybe harder. It was a tragic uh, time for the country. And what what's going on now with uh, American Medivac, this great film that people can get and see? Is it going to be on TV again? Yeah, um, it, it, um, uh, PBS picked it up a couple of years ago after I finished it, maybe four years ago, three years ago. And they, they asked if they could run it again. And it's, it's not on the network all at one time on every station, but each station can pick it up and run it when, when, whenever the station wants to. So it's been on about a 30 stations again this year. And it's also uh, Amazon has it up there. Good. And if people want to watch it, it uh, you have to pay, a, I don't know, about $1.96. And oh. I, uh, I get about 10 cents out of it. But uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to sell documentaries yeah. here. But it's not, uh, people, as you know, won't be bored. It, it runs yeah. less than an hour. When, when I was, um, I was already out of CBS and I was working, uh, not yet working at ABC, but working for a smaller a group of stations, and uh, shortly after your wall, the Vietnam Memorial Wall, was put up, I, I went to do a story on it, and um, I was just amazed at what I heard of people walking by, kneeling, uh, sitting down, um, praying, staring at names, reaching out to touch a name of a loved one, and um, I, I just never forgot the experience and one story which I feel compelled to tell you there was a group of high school guys sitting near the wall and it was obvious that in charge of them was a, a teacher who had brought them there I don't remember where they were from but uh, the guys were lolling around like high school guys do and yakking and and the teacher said I want to tell you about that name I pointed out. You know the name I pointed out and mentioned the name on the wall and I had you run your finger over that? He, when he was in high school, was the kind of kid nobody talked to. He was awkward. He was kind of chubby and and nobody really liked him. And he And, and he always seemed to feel uncomfortable with hanging out with guys like you. So, you know, he was, you wondered, would anything ever become of him? And then he paused and he said, and you know what he did? You know why he's on this wall? And they quieted down and looked up at the teacher. And he said, all he did, when he said he pointed his finger over at the wall, all he did was when he was in battle, a hand grenade dropped nearby and he was with a squad of people and he put his body on top of that hand grenade to muffle the explosion so that his colleagues, his buddies, his friends would not be hurt. And he lost his life. And there was a pause and the teacher again repeated again, that's all he did, this kid that nobody wanted to befriend when he was in high school. It was very moving. So 
You know, you met a million guys like that when you were in uniform over there, I'm sure. Well, yeah, when uh, somebody got wounded, uh, people would get him or, or, or try to retrieve the body. And uh, it was uh, still brings a tear to my eyes thinking about it. And uh, Well, you thought you weren't going to make it, right? And the guy finally came over to you and stabilized you, right? I was bleeding to death, and uh, actually, the, they had a, they left a sniper to cover me and wait for the rescue party. And uh, uh, for some reason, it, the guy's gun jammed or something. Uh, they should, they were shooting at him, but uh, he didn't shoot me. <laughs> I had enough problems, enough holes in my body. Anyway, well, right. we want to thank you for your poignant commentary. Hey, thank you for asking me. I'm always and I mean this, and you know it, I am always honored to be in your company, no matter whether we're having a, a sandwich at a deli or a cup of coffee somewhere or doing this. Thank you, Jim. Well, it's rare that I hear that, but uh, I do appreciate it. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thank you. Okay, you too. <laughs>